This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Welcome back to yet another session of Brojo Online. Today's one's really important. Today's one is going to have a look at something that probably affects your ability to feel confident in social situations all of the time. It's something you'll be doing almost constantly and most of the time not even realizing that it's happening. What we're going to be talking about, of course, is social status. We're going to be having a look at what is social status? What is that hierarchy that we believe exists between different humans? How does it occur? What is it exactly? And how does it affect us? From a personal point of view, social status has been a huge factor in my life and in particular in my earlier life. It ruled me without me even really being aware of its existence. It comes up a lot when we look at dating and things like that, uh, when we look at the pickup industry, when we look at people giving advice on how to succeed in the social world. The idea of status comes up so often. If we look at the kind of glory that is given to famous people, we can see on a global level how much we worship those who are perceived to have high status. And then when we look at how people like the homeless and the poor are treated, we look at how much we, how we treat those who are perceived as lower status. So status plays a huge role throughout the entire world, throughout the structure of the entire human race. And it might just be bullshit. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to have a look at how social status plays a role in your life, how it affects your ability to enjoy life, and whether or not it's even real. So this is a big one. And for those of you who are watching this because of your main focuses in dating, I want you to bear in mind the status you give to people that you are attracted to. For those of you who are here to focus mainly on your career, I want you to keep in mind the status you give to those who outrank you at work. And for those of you who are just here for your social life, I want you to think about the status you give to the strangers walking around you at any given time. What do you think of them based on your first glance perception of them? So let's start by trying to define status, trying to figure out what it is, and then we'll have a look at how it affects us. So social status is essentially a hierarchy, a ranking system, whereby people are placed in order. This can happen in groups or in individuals. So you can say this group is better than that group, or you can say this person is better than that person. It's a perceived difference between people and their sense of worthiness. When you look out into the world and you start assessing the social status of each person, what you're essentially what you're essentially assessing, that's tricky, is who is worth more than the others. In terms of the social worthiness, who is worth more? So there's a lot of different different ways that we do this, but that's essentially the ranking. Who is worth more? Who is worth less? We can see this happen in all sorts of systems. So in school, you see status being given to those who might be on the sports team. You might see status being given those to who are the academics. What you'll notice is it's different in every single school, which tells you already that perhaps some of this is bullshit. So I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and in her school, the, the academic kids were the cool ones. 
they were the ones who were the ones who excelled in in maths and in art and uh and science and english those kind of subjects they were the ones who had the status and the ones who were artistic and sporty they were actually at the lower ranking um status in that school they were the ones who'd get picked on and ostracized and bullied now in my school it was the opposite if you had a brain you got your ass kicked it was the academics were definitely at the bottom perhaps just above the perceived low intelligent kids it was really interesting at my school we had rankings different classes did they were put together based on your iq and your intelligence and different measures the the kids were actually separated by intelligence uh into classes which was just i mean if you want to set up bullying that's a great place to start you know well done school well done and uh, what was really interesting is if you're at the very top, I was at the top of the academic ladder there, uh, nobody liked you. And if you're at the very bottom, everybody thought you were stupid and nobody liked you. You had to be somewhere in the nonchalant middle. You had to be in the, the too cool for school group who did okay but weren't stupid and didn't care enough about school to be considered a geek or a nerd or whatever. So what's interesting, just two school examples we can start to see that it really just depends on some factor in the past that set a precedent. You know, at my school, if you were a sporting person, you were the very top of the ladder. I remember sitting in class, watching members of the first 15 rugby team, walking around during class hours, and teachers would basically give them a salute as they walked past. If I was found walking around during class hours, I would have got detention. We could see the adults giving status to these these sports kids so we started to believe it ourselves so we can see this at a global level we can see that people who are rich and famous are given preferential treatment despite the fact that resource wise they're already advantaged so you go to a restaurant somebody who goes in and they're the richest person there gets the meal for free we can see that they are deemed to be more worthwhile you can imagine what would happen if which, well, this might actually happen soon. If the human race was to die, or was about to die, I should say, and they had to choose, you know, the top 100 that they're going to take down into the bunker to survive the nuclear storm or whatever, you can imagine how they're going to make those decisions. It's not going to be a random selection of the population. Whoever's in charge of making that decision is going to do so based on a sense of worthiness, who is worth the most. What will be really interesting is to see how subjective that decision will be. Some people believe that the celebrities are worth the most. They'll say, save the Kardashians. Others will say, it's the scientists. We need the people with the biggest brains. Others will say, no, we need the athletes. We need the ones who will be able to hunt and gather. And on and on. And the subjective debate will continue. And we'll probably all die anyway. The point being a status is a subjective perception of better versus worse, good versus bad, higher versus lower, and you all have your own version of it. This is the key here. If you're to go around and get into a debate with every person you meet about where every single individual in society ranks in the ladder, you will not be able to find somebody who agrees with you entirely. Despite what society, that mystical identity, seems to tell us, no two people actually fully agree 
on status, which just shows you how subjective it is. It just shows you that this is essentially something you've made up inside your head. This is the key point that I want to drive home. I'll probably repeat it a number of times this session. Status is based on a story that you made up inside your mind. Now, you've been influenced to make that story. There's no doubt about it. You've been influenced to do everything in your life. But essentially, it's your story. When you look at someone and you feel that they're better than you, there's no substantial evidence for that. You've chosen to look at pieces of what you consider to be evidence to line up to a story that already exists inside your mind. I'll give you an example. Let's say I look at somebody I'm physically attracted to, and I think of them as better than me. Now, I might not have the words, they are better than me, playing in my mind, but my behavior will show that that belief exists. I'll be nicer to them, more polite, kinder. I'll treat them better than I treat my own family. That is a sign that I have a belief that this person is higher value. They are more valuable than I am. They are more valuable than family members are to me. So I'll be behaving in this way and I'll notice that this is happening. And if someone was to stop me in that moment and go, why? Why do you treat them better? At first, I probably won't have a very good answer. I'll think, why do I treat them better? And then my brain will tell me the story it plays. It will tell me the story that it's been using my entire life to rank people. It will start saying things like, well, she could get anyone she wants. Start to imply that she already has more options, that she has more resources than me, that she's more powerful than I am. Will tell me that <clears throat> she gets to choose me. I don't choose her. I will be her possession if we were to be together. I would not possess her, but she would possess me. There's this power and control dynamic that the story tells me. I want you, <clears throat> I want you all to stop and think about the story you tell yourself. Why that attractive person deserves better treatment? Why your boss is someone you have to be more polite to than anyone else? Why is it that you take your parents' terrible advice just because they're your parents? What is this thing we do with status? Why is it that we moderate our behavior because we deem someone to be higher value, higher status? You're going to have a story for each of those, and some of those stories you're going to be so sure are legitimate, aren't you? The story about the boss is always a great one. Well, he could fire me. You know, he, he controls my paycheck. It's a, such a common story. What's really interesting is in so many cases, actually, the boss doesn't. The boss doesn't sign a paycheck. It comes from the finance department. The boss can't decide whether or not you're fired. He has to go to superiors to make that decision. Now, there's, that's not every case, but so often we can already see at the very beginning of the story that it isn't based on evidence. For example, if you're in New Zealand and somebody fired you just because you're being honest, you'd probably end up getting a massive payout for wrongful dismissal. It would actually be a good thing for you to get fired in that situation. And yet that's the story you tell yourself as to why you have to be fake with this person, why they outrank you. Titles. Titles are huge. These are where we've actually given someone an official status difference. The title might be a general term like famous or celebrity or politician. Or the title might be actually a title, manager of finance. 
These titles, they're not just words, they come with this deep meaning about who is worth more. If you're sitting in a meeting at work, and there's the manager of this, and then there's the nobody, straight away, if they had to decide who to fire, the points are already in the manager's favor because of that title. Now, at this stage, you might be thinking, fair enough, and yet you know nothing about these two people. That manager might be costing the company thousands of dollars a week, while the no-name person might be making them thousands of dollars a week. And yet, already in your mind, if someone's got a title, they're already worth more. Your brain is already starting to make that decision. This is happening to you all day, every day in social situations. When you walk into a room surrounded by other people, your brain starts attaching stories to them to rank them against each other. And most importantly, to rank them against yourself. The reason we're going into social status today and the reason I'm so hyper about it, I guess, is because your confidence, your self-worth, is massively affected by this concept. How good you think you are as a person, for the most part, is based on a fictional comparison with others. You compare yourself with others based on no real evidence, and then you use that comparison as if it's some sort of measurable to decide what kind of person you are. And then based on that, you decide how you feel about yourself whether you feel proud of yourself, good about yourself, whatever you want to call it, will be based on thinking that you outrank the people that you're surrounded by. And if you feel unsure of yourself, not worth much, a waste of space, it'll be because you believe you are outranked. And all of this is a complete fiction. It's a story you made up. You made it up. I really can't emphasize that enough. You made it up. You're doing this to yourself. And there's no real evidence for it. Where's the evidence that somebody who is a famous actor is worth more than you? Where is that evidence? How are you measuring that? Let's have a look. How do we do this? How do we decide somebody is lower status or higher status? What is the story we attach to deciding this? Well, we've talked about this concept in Brojo, the, the in real life version of Brojo. A number of times. Status is a huge one. We love to talk about it. And what we often perceive is this concept of more. Somebody has more something. That brings them higher up the ladder. We can see that this starts in school, where the, the children in, say, early school, primary or elementary school, depending on where you're from, the kids who excel, they get the gold stars and the certificates. They're excelling academically. They start to already outrank the other kids. They get more privileges, while the other kids get punishments and extra homework and so on. So the kids who are excelling academically get promoted as basically being better. Now, this is this is a really interesting one. I, I A friend of mine is a mechanic. He's an excellent mechanic. But for someone like me who's so mechanically challenged, when I, when I open the bonnet of a car, I basically see one gigantic Rubik's Cube. I have no idea how any of that stuff connects to any of the other stuff, and I wouldn't know where to start in terms of fixing any of it. He opens the bonnet, and he's just seeing his world. He understands it completely. As soon as he hears a noise, he knows what's causing that noise, and on and on. Yet, when he was at school, he was the one who was sent out of class all the time because he was dyslexic and disruptive. He was the one getting punished. 
And yet, who's to say he was less intelligent than the others? I know, certainly, as soon as we're looking over a bonnet, who the most intelligent person in that situation is. Now, if we're both reading a book, I might be able to beat him at that, so to speak. But in front of an engine, I am, you know, he is my, my superior. Neither of us is worth more than the other. We're just different. We're just good at different things. And hasn't still, neither of those things, reading, dealing with an engine, neither of those things ranks us against each other in terms of overall worthiness. So the idea of more, we get it straight away from school. You'll get it if you have siblings. You'll find that parents are almost unable to favor siblings. You, you just can't help it. There's the kid they like just a little bit more. They'll never admit it to themselves because it racks them with guilt. Some of the, the better parents I know are willing to sort of say, you know what, that's actually my favorite kid. The other one, kids are not real. But, that will, but you'll see it. You'll see the behavior. You'll perceive if you're the, if you're the favored sibling, you'll feel superior. You won't know why, maybe. You won't necessarily be aware that you're receiving preferential treatment. But you'll, you'll realize you feel pretty good about yourself in the, you know, in the presence of your parents. Whereas the other sibling, if they're with you and, their, and your parents at the same time, caregivers, they will feel undervalued. They will feel like they are less than something. And it will come to all these subtle little movements and behavior can be as simple as like looking at your dinner plate and seeing who got more chicken. You know, kids look for that kind of stuff. I looked for it when I was a kid. I used to fight my brother for the better, better portions of food. It starts at a very young age. We start to be given these signs from others that somebody outranks you, that somebody is better than you. They are entitled to more. And what's really interesting is this chicken and egg situation is often the person who seems to be entitled to more started with more to begin with. They are given advantages because they already have the advantage. So you'll see the older child perhaps being favored. They're already older. They're already getting the clothing first. They get no hand-me-downs. They get the best toys, etc. And they get the bigger piece of chicken. They're already being given the advantage despite starting with an advantage or a perception of which. The kids in class who are academically strong, they're already finding the classwork easy, and now they get the extra nap time or whatever. I don't know what kids do. They get the extra play time while the rest are doing homework to catch up to them. They're already advantaged, and then they get rewarded for having that advantage. So more, more skills, more knowledge, the perception that somebody has more than you in any given area. What's interesting about status as we take this thing, they seem to have more in this very specific area. Like I could look at my friend and say, he has more knowledge around cars than me. It's this tiny area of life. But I can say for sure, he knows more than I do. More knowledge. Now, if we're at a party, and I'm surrounded by people who are into cars, you know, which I've been in many situations, born and raised in West Auckland, well, raised there anyway, and, you know, a lot of people are into cars and engines there. And so I'll be at a party, and I'm the only one who doesn't have a clue what everyone's talking about. That situation, I feel like my status slips. I feel like I'm below, definitely below him, if nothing else. He is the star of the show. Every, every word that comes out of his mouth, they're hanging on to him. Some of them have secretly taken notes on their phone. Like they're so into it, arguing and enjoying themselves. And I'm sitting there, and they might as well be speaking Japanese. I have no idea what is going on. I don't understand a majority of the words being used, and I just want to leave. 
So this idea that now not only is he more skilled or knowledgeable about cars, he's actually now a better person than me socially. He outranks me as an entire person, not just the skill about cars, but as an entire person. I don't actually feel this way anymore, but this is a reflection of how I used to be affected by status. So more skills and more knowledge, this one will play out a lot in the workplace. You think that if someone's better at their job than you are, that somehow they outrank you as an entire person, rather than looking at it objectively and just saying they have more skills than I do in this particular tiny compartment of life. Right. More possessions. This is a huge one, and this is one that a lot of people use to manipulate social status. So a really common one is to get really big and muscular. You possess more strength and more aesthetic physique. You're perceived as being better. Other people use the purchase of possessions, bigger house, bigger car, in order to give that sort of symbol of possessing more, of having more. And we believe them. We believe when we see someone driving down the road in a brand new Bentley, we assume, wow, that person probably a bit better than us. And what's really interesting, I remember I was watching a documentary or something on famous rappers, how many of them, you know, in their music video, they're talking about how rich they are and just rolling in the Benjamins or whatever, and they've got all these nice cars and stuff, and all that shit's hired. It's all hired. They, they don't own anything. You know, the, the car that they're driving is on, on loan. It's on tick, as we say in New Zealand. It's, um, you know, they're paying it off. I could do the same thing if I wanted. I could go and pay off that same car. But we look at them and we attach a story. First off, that they actually own the possessions that we're seeing, which is a completely fictional story every single time because nobody really owns anything. And then that because they own it, that somehow they own it because they're better than us. We might say they have more money, but we're not really saying they have more money. We're saying they're better than us. Social proof is probably the most powerful factor when it comes to status. We infect each other with the concept of status, like a virus. One person worships somebody. Everybody else starts to think, should, should we be worshipping that person? Is that, is that what we're doing? You're doing it too? Well, fuck yeah, all right, I'm in. And all of a sudden, we're all worshipping this person. And we have, still haven't met them. Think about right now how many people you look up to that you've never met. You have no personal experience of, you've never been in the, in the presence of to allow them to treat you in the way that they are going to choose to treat you. You've never seen how they would behave towards you, and yet you already rank them higher than yourself and others. Anybody famous that you look up to, even if it seems to be really legitimate, like you're in an academic field and you look up to someone because of their knowledge and wisdom, they're not famous per se, they're just really good at what you like to do and you look up to them, but you're not just admiring their skills. You're admiring them as a person. The story in your head about them says they are an amazing person. They're better than others and by extension better than yourself. So there's that more, and of course, if we flip the script on this, there's the less thing. If you're walking down the street and you see someone sitting on the side of the road with no shoes on, with a cup in front of them with change in it, you think that person's worse than me. You don't like to admit it to yourself a lot of the time, but you look down on them, literally and figuratively. You look down and you think that person is less than me. 
that if there came a decision where one of us had to die for the benefit of the human race, I would logically assume they were the ones that had to die. They're worth less than me. They're less valuable than I am as an entire person, and yet you still haven't met them. That could be a really rich guy doing a social experiment, trying to see how people react to him if he looks homeless. You don't know that. It could be a guy who chooses to be homeless because he wants to get in touch with nature. Somebody's so confident in himself that he's let go of possessions. You don't know that. Or it could be somebody who's addicted to methylated spirits and has totally fucked up their mind. It doesn't matter. None of those things actually talk to the value of a person. They do in your mind, though, because you've made up a story. So you look at that person, you think they're less than you. Quite often, and this is where it gets really dark in terms of psychology, the people we look down on, the ones who scare, we're the most scared of, the reason we look down on them is because they represent our deepest fears. When we look down on the homeless person, we do so because deep down at our core, we fear that that could be us. We look at the situation that they're in and we think, God, I would hate to be that. And so we turn that into some sort of loathing, some superiority. I'd hate to be that, but I'm not that. Sweet. Look at that loser. We do that, don't we? If you really want to look at how this is done, look at child sex offenders, pedophiles the most looked down upon category of people in majority of situations. If you have any group of people, if one of them is identified as a pedophile, odds are they will be the lowest ranked socially. I find it really fascinating. I, I used to work in corrections, as many of you know, and the prison hierarchy, what happens when you go into prison in terms of where you rank amongst the other prisoners and how many privileges or punishments you're going to receive from the other prisoners. Now, what's really interesting, at the very top is the murderer. Somebody who commits a murder usually gets the highest social status in the prison. What's really interesting is number two is the rapist. So somebody who rapes women, adult women, is usually giving a really high ranking in prison as well. And this is different throughout the world depending on the culture. But in New Zealand prisons, that's the case. Because a lot of prisoners share a hatred towards women. And so somebody rapes women, kills women, is usually put right up at the top. Now, what's interesting, if that woman, if that woman is found to be under the age of 16, they go from the top of the social hierarchy to the bottom. Slight age difference that classes them as a pedophile or a sex offender, and suddenly they're at the bottom of the, of the totem pole, and yet both are rapists. Both have forced themselves on somebody sexually. This is a great example of just how ridiculous status is. The idea that somebody who harms this type of person is better than somebody who harms that type of person is ludicrous. And yet, this represents the kind of social status thing we do all the time. We put the famous actor up there, we put the homeless person down there, and yet it's complete bullshit. There's no rational assessment based on this. We haven't met either of them, we haven't assessed either of them. You think uh, sometimes you'll, be, you'll have this worship for somebody and then you see a side of them that kind of shakes you out of it. Like you might have a famous celebrity that you're really into. You love their movies, for example. And you just, oh, they're such fantastic movies. And then you see an interview with them. And in the interview, they're just not what you thought they were going to be. You know, they're perhaps they're really arrogant and smug or the diva type hysterical. 
and you're watching this and you just lose whatever you had for them. You feel something inside you break and, and that worship just gets crushed. You can't defend your your love for them anymore. And it's because you got to see a bit more of them. You got to see a little bit of evidence as to what they might actually be like. And you realize that the original thing that you loved wasn't real. It was a made-up fiction inside your head. It had their face and their body attached to it. But essentially it was a complete fiction. You didn't know a thing about them, and yet you made up a story that you fell in love with and started to worship. The same goes both ways. One of the things that helped me with working in corrections is I worked with people who are at the bottom of the social status ladder. And the more and more that I spoke to them, the more I realized they were just like me. They were really quite similar to me in the way they thought, the way they acted. It's just their choice of behavior was different. So whereas the criminal offender would get angry and beat up his partner, I'd get angry and binge eat on sugar. They're both harmful behaviors, and they're both based on similar reasoning. So I'm not really better or worse than this person. I just had a different choice. And I wasn't as aware of the choices they weren't as aware of theirs, if that makes sense. It didn't to me, but hopefully it does to you. In the end, when we look down at, at who outranks others, we come to the concept of power. Power and control. So I want you to take a moment to think about this. Those with more power are the highest ranking socially and those with less are the lowest. But what is power? What is this thing that they're supposed to have that they have more of or less of than you? What is it really? I'm a bit of a Game of Thrones nerd. I really am. I, it's one of those programs I really enjoy and I usually don't like that kind of stuff. Dragons and magic usually makes me really angry. But I've been watching Game of Thrones from a completely self-development enthusiast perspective. When I watch that program, I just see so many of psychological concepts that were all affected by each day being explored through the characters. And that's one of the reasons I love the program so much. And control and power is a big one. It's a big theme in Game of Thrones, the idea of what is power, who has it, what qualifies them to have it, and so on. And one of the key themes that comes through about that is the idea that power is this illusion. It's power is people agreeing that you have power. Power is like money. It doesn't really exist. There's just an agreement that it exists. And that's what creates it. So with power, with social proof through power, we can see this idea that we give someone status and power, and yet they still don't possess anything different to what you possess. It's just an agreement. And you see this when it's taken away. So I was referring to pedophiles before. As you know, in the news, about once or twice a year, a major personality, a celebrity figure of some kind, gets found out to be a pedophile. Uh, the most recent um, that I'm aware of was Jared from Subway, right? That nods. So here he is. I mean, I, I don't know if I've been working with pedophiles for too long or whatever, but whenever I saw that, I'm like, that guy's a pedo, definitely. I mean, look at him. But that was just me being judgmental. This time I happened to coincidentally be right. But what was really interesting is, you know, he went from a guy that people just sort of not worshipped. I don't think Jared from Subway ever had much worship, but he probably had respect. 
he probably had respect as as the subway guy. He probably had a kind of humorous admiration. There he is. He's the subway guy. Therefore, he's better than me. And yet, as soon as he was found out to be a pedophile, whatever he had was taken away instantly. All respect, all admiration, all love, gone in an instant with a simple change of information. In fact, not even a change of information, just the revealing of more information. He was always a pedophile. Just now you know about it. So anybody who felt any sort of admiration or respect for him before he was found out to be a pedophile was in fact worshipping a pedophile. They just didn't know it. And so that means they didn't really know who he was. They didn't know what he was, what he was capable of, what his behavior actually was, which means that the thing that they looked up to wasn't real. And this is what you're doing all the time. You're attaching a story to someone, then you're worshipping or judging that story, looking up at them or looking down at them, and yet the story is not real. It's never real. You never know someone, really. You can spend your entire life right next to someone, and 99% of their thoughts are a secret from you. 99% of their beliefs and everything that they hold dear to themselves is actually hidden. Most people are very shameful, and they hide a lot of what is true about them. So when you're thinking that someone is better or worse than you, you don't really base that on any sort of rational judgment. You base it on a story that you made up. On a social proof, quite often you base it on a story that somebody else made up. And this is how power works. You create the perception that other people think you're worthy, and then people will think you're worthy. All of this is it. On a foundation of sand, is completely fictional. One of the ways I like to look at status is there's a... <laughs> I can't remember if someone told me this before I made it up. The Queen of England. Somebody has very high social status. So if she walked into a room, you'd get very proper, wouldn't you? Now, there's a whole process for meeting her. You have to line up and you wait your turn and you shake your hand. You have to... I don't know, you have to call your, your majesty or something and follow all these rules. It's very, very frowned upon and, and ostracism is a high risk if you're not to follow this procedure and on and on. She is a very high social status woman. And yet, at some point, probably within the last couple of months, she has been strapped to the toilet sweating as she blasts out diarrhea. And I'm not trying to put that image in your mind to shock you. I'm trying to point out that there is no way she's not human. She is just as human as you. No matter how many processes you have to go through to shake her hand and all the stuff that she's given just for who she is, she still gets diarrhea. She still has nightmares. She still worries about the future. She still makes mistakes. She is just another human, just like you, just like the homeless guy, just like any other human. She's just a human. There are so many things us humans have in common, and yet when it comes to social status, all we focus on is what we have differently and the worthiness of that difference. And yet so much of us is just the same. We're all just a hairless primate, aren't we? We're just another monkey walking around, and any one of us is basically just the same as the other. You know, when you're looking in at a documentary on nature shows and you see two birds side by side on the tree, do you think to yourself, that one's better? Do you really think to yourself that one of the birds is worth more than the other? No, they're just birds to you. You don't give a shit. They both look the same. 
lot of other animals it's the same for us you know they have that kind of conscious awareness and perception one human is just another human you know it doesn't really matter we're the ones who make up the story that some people are better or worse we're the ones who give people power and status and it's all a complete fiction we know it's a fiction because of how quickly it can be taken away mel gibson great example of someone whose status was taken away based on a single or a few single conversations he had where he let out a bit of his dark side right? suddenly that worshiping model that you had i mean i loved i loved mel gibson after braveheart you know, i thought he was the man the patriot awesome movie and then i heard him rant about the jews and i thought wow he's a bit of a dick he is a bit of a dick the thing is he was always a bit of a dick i just didn't see it so that means that whatever i worshipped earlier didn't exist it's something i made up in my mind this is the same as if you're on a date with someone you're on a date with them and you're thinking god they're such a great person you're thinking that based on something you made up you don't know them yet you might never know them if you're on a first date that means you've spent about 0.0000000000001% of their life in their presence, which means all the rest of that percentage you haven't seen or experienced. They could spend the rest of their time being a serial killer, you wouldn't know it. So whatever you're admiring and looking up to in your mind doesn't exist. Now, just because other people believe it exists is not proof. There was a time when the, almost the entire human race, possibly the entire human race, believed that the earth was flat. There are still some people who believe it. And yet we can see clearly from pictures from space, we can see experiments where you sit out in the middle of a lake and shine a laser that's flat, and you'll see that it changes level the further out in the lake you go, and so on and so forth, that the earth is definitely a globe, it is spherical. So everybody in the world believing it didn't make it true. Actually, that's a bit of a paradox. It kind of does make it true. And that's the concept of power. The truth comes from the belief. You think someone's better than you, then they are better than you because you think that. As soon as you stop thinking it, they stop being better than you. You can see their case with the examples I gave before. You look at Jared on Subway, you think he's a bit of a goofball or whatever. You don't think he's that. Definitely don't think of him as cool or anything. But you think if we're both in a social situation, he would outrank me. Give you more attention and stuff. I and mean, he's the guy from the subway ads. I'm just this nobody. And then you find out he's a pedophile and you think straight away, well, if we're both at a party, I would outrank him. It was all bullshit. It's all bullshit happening inside your mind. And every time you feel nervous in someone's presence because you think they're better than you, know that it's not them that you feel nervous about. It's your story about them that you made up. You basically, it's like, J.K. Rowling writing Harry Potter and then thinking, God, Harry Potter's better than me. He really is. He, he doesn't exist. She made him up. And everybody in your mind doesn't exist either. You made them up. There's a concept uh, that came up in the pickup, in my pickup phase. Uh, one-itis. This is a, I love this word. I, I, I use it all the time. Uh, me and my clients have this thing, this one-itis, where... They become obsessed with one person to the point where they'll actually avoid pursuing other relationships because of this obsession. And I've had that my entire life almost, you know, from, from an early age, I've had a crush on one person or another. 
without a break you know even in primary school I, I remember my first crushes in primary school i remember having a crush when i was five years old a girl named belinda uh at one of my first primary schools and then it was just one girl after another these crushes where she would just become the object of my admiration i'd be fully in love with this girl most of the time spend very little actual time in their presence very few conversations with them it was just love from afar as i got older i'd actually in interact with these women but i'd still have that same kind of obsession where it wasn't it wasn't real it was based on this kind of fiction i had about them in my mind now when i work with clients i often discover that they have this one i just saying they have this one person who they're obsessed with and they, whom they worship and i'll start to ask them tell me about this person's behavior then tell me about what you think they are. Tell me about what they've actually done. How do they treat you? How do they talk to you? What happened this week? Almost without fail, and I'm not exaggerating this, almost every single time the behavior they describe is deplorable, awful behavior. They really treat the, the, my clients badly. So this person, she, oh, she's the one, you know, she's just the best I've ever met. No girl compares to her. I can't even date because I'm thinking about this girl all the time. I think, well, how she treat you this week? Well, you know, she actually hasn't gone back to me this week. I called her three times. She keeps saying she'd call me back, but she didn't. Well, we, oh, we were going to go out on Wednesday, but, you know, last minute she had this other thing. So I was actually, you know, I had, I'd driven all the way there. I had to go home. They've got the same. Where if it was anybody else, they wouldn't even talk to them again. And yet this one-eyed person gets special treatment because they're such a great person. And yet, the behavior says that, well, they're quite clearly not, at least not to you. So where is this great person that you're talking about? Where is the evidence for this? And what we see with, with this kind of status is that somebody has a dream that they wish was true, and then they meet someone who they think fits the dream, and they attach that dream to the person. They create this fictional model in their head of this amazing person, and then they attach it to someone. And for me, it was like a uh, demonic possession. I just jumped from one host to another. I'd have a crush on this girl, and then she'd get a boyfriend or something that would put me off, and then boom, I'd have a crush on this girl. And then she would say that she doesn't want to be with me, she just wants to be friends, and boom, I'd have a crush on this girl. And the demon that I was carrying with me just went from one girl to another. And I just gave whoever had the demon the most status. But that demon was my insecurities, my, my neediness and my loneliness. And the idea that somebody would sweep in and take that all away, I was placing that in people and losing myself in them, giving them that power. So in our insecurities, we see status being formed. It's our fears about ourselves that form status. When we look up to someone, it's because we believe they have what we don't have, and that somehow admiring them, giving them status, will rub off on us, we'll get a piece of it. So that if we if we admire a celebrity and we go up to them, they'll they'll get a selfie with us and then we'll be a little bit famous and we'll have some of that good stuff, you know? You can see that I uh, have a few friends, to be fair, I call them star fuckers. Like if they see someone who's deemed famous, they lose their shit and they go up and try to get autographs and pictures with them. And to me, especially because I've worked on status so long now, it doesn't make any sense for me to do that. I'm like, they're just another human. I mean, you wouldn't go up to some random person on the street and go, oh my God, can I get a fucking picture with you? And yet you do it with this person. Why? Because they've been in a movie? 
why don't you do it with the plumber? He's really good at plumbing, you know? He's probably better at plumbing than this person is at acting. Why are you worshipping this one? You're not even an actor. You don't care about acting. Plumbing's more important to you. And yet it's the actor that gets your attention. This doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure where I was going on that. It was a bit of a rant. But the idea, yeah, your insecurity about yourself, that you don't have status, that you're looked down on, makes you look up to others. How do I become them? It's like Jim Carrey says, you know, he wishes everyone could become rich and famous so that they can see that it's not all cracked up to be. You know, they can focus on something more important. And that's the key. What we think, we think they have something we want, but really they're just another human and they've got the same amount of troubles as we do. We look up to the CEO of the company and think, oh, he must be something great. I wish I was him. And then we become CEO and we work 70 hours a week and we don't get to see our wife and kids and we're fucking stressed out all the time. We think, what was I worshipping again? This is bullshit. You know. The grass is always greener. You're looking at these people thinking they've got something you don't, and yet they're just a human. They've got everything that you've got. You've got everything that they've got. And all the status and power is simply a fiction that can be taken away from them at any point. They don't actually possess status. You know, it's, it can be taken away. Uh, a good little reference for this is Monica Lewinsky. Uh, she did a TED Talk. For those of you who don't remember, Monica Lewinsky and former President Bill Clinton uh, had some fun in the Oval Office and got snapped and she was publicly shamed globally for this and she does a great TED talk where she talks about going through that experience. She's someone whose status was stripped away from everybody and yet here she is giving a TED talk. She's now regained that status. It just shows you the whole thing's fictional. The status never existed in the first place. This is the one problem I have with a head her TED talk is she blames everyone else for being well she doesn't exactly she takes some responsibility but she kind of says she was shamed by everyone else you can't be shamed by other people she shamed herself now she could have reacted to that situation a number of different ways she chose to react by hiding away and kind of pretending it wasn't happening she became a recluse but if she didn't believe in status if she didn't care what other people thought of her so to speak and just said yeah I sucked him off, and what? You know, she would be hosting talk shows for the rest of her life. She would have been given a pat on the back by all the feminists, you know. She chose to hide away, to be ashamed. To s- she made the status thing happen. Everybody looked at the situation and goes, right, what should we think of Monica now? And they waited for her to react, and she reacted with shame. They go, oh, she's such a slut, she's such a tramp. They reacted to that. The fiction became the truth. Whereas if she had just been like, what's your problem? He's the president, you know? Who, who, do, who doesn't want to say they fucked the president? You know, why, why, are you, why are you questioning this? Why do you, you just wish you had fucked him? If she'd react in that way, I mean, there still would have been outrage from certain people, but it wouldn't have been the public shaming that she received. There's no doubt about that. So admiration is looking up to someone because you don't feel sure of yourself. Now judgment is looking down on someone for the same reason. You look down on them because you think they represent what you don't want to be. The real reason you look down on Jared from Subway from being, for being a pedophile is because your deepest, darkest fear is that you could be a pedophile. That's the truth of it. You never wanted to admit it to yourself. You think you look down on him because you'd never be like him. But what really scares you is that he's just another human, which means any human could do that. It's a thing that humans are capable of. It doesn't mean that you will be one. 
but it just shows you that you could be, and that's what scares you the most. One of the things that really helped me work through my issues, because I used to rehabilitate sex offenders, and I'm one of the few people I know who actually understands them. And I would, I would be working with them, and some of my friends are like, oh, you should just fucking shoot them all, or just waste of space, worthless, blah, blah, blah. And I used to ask myself, why do you have such a big reaction? Do you really care about the children that much? Because last time I spoke to you about children, you couldn't stand them. Why are you suddenly so compassionate about children now? What's changed? And I realized you're not compassionate about children. You're scared of being a pedophile. You're not going to be one. You don't have that in you. But you see it in another human, and you think you could maybe. Deep down your subconscious, your brain goes, oh, I don't know, humans could do that to kids. And immediately your brain would simulate the idea of you being a pedophile. And that's what upsets you the most. That's what really causes that massive discomfort in the presence of a pedophile. And this is not condoning pedophilia, of course not. This is just going to show that the status difference thing, when you look down on someone, it's not because they're less than you. It's because you're scared of being them. That's what it is. When you judge someone, you're scared of being them. You're scared of what they represent in yourself. And you're not, you're not really coming to terms with the idea that maybe they're not scared of that. Maybe the homeless person doesn't mind being homeless. I worked with a bunch of homeless people. A number of them chose homelessness. I mean, in New Zealand, you have access to all these resources, work and income. You can get money and you can get housing pretty damn quick when you're homeless, provided you have some sort of support from you know, a guy like myself who can do some of the talking for you, etc. It's not that hard. There are some barriers, but it's not that hard. Yet some of them scorn those barriers and go, no, I, I live on the streets. You know, I, I am a, I'm a street person. This is my place. It's my home. I don't want to work a nine to five. I don't want to live by the rules. You know, a lot of that comes from different mental illness and stuff. But the idea that I can look down on that person is just ludicrous. I'm looking down on them because I'm scared of being homeless because I wouldn't be able to handle it. The thing is, I should be admiring them. They can handle something I can't. And yet I look down on them. Essentially, what does status do to us? Well, the story in your head moderates your behavior, doesn't it? You become subsequious and submissive in the presence of somebody who you look up to, and you become patronizing and contemptful and dominant in the presence of someone you look down on. And none of this is authentic. None of this is you just being open and vulnerable and truthful. It's you playing a role that you made up inside your head based on the roles that you made up for others inside your head. You're living in this fictional world that doesn't exist and you're missing out on actually connecting. And this is the big point here is when you give somebody else status, either higher or lower, you make it basically impossible to connect with them. You can't connect with someone who's better than you and you can't connect with someone who's worse. And so you're the one who's creating your own loneliness by judging others as better or worse than you. And that judgment is completely fictional. So, what do we do about it? If we're living our life in this fictional world that doesn't exist, if we're living in the Harry Potter story and unable to connect with any of their characters because they're not real, what do we do about it? Well, the first thing is about removing that pedestal. Whether you've placed it under somebody else or under yourself, it needs to be removed because it's based on a fiction. And the way to remove something that's based on a fiction is to find evidence. Think of it as taking a scientific approach to social status. I want you to go out and find the evidence that somebody is better or worse than you. 
Now, evidence does not mean looking at them from afar and making up stories. That's not evidence. Evidence means getting stuck into their life. It means getting to know them on a personal level as objectively as possible to figure out do they really qualify as less or more valuable than you. So looking for evidence is and, and one of the key ways, especially when you're talking about comparing someone to yourself, thinking of them as better or worse than you. Look at the evidence of how they treat you. How do they treat you? If you write down their behavior on paper without any stories, without any, because just what they actually did, factually, raw data, and you look at that and say, yeah, that is respectable behavior. Or do you look at it and say, that's neutral behavior, is no good or bad attached to that in my mind. Or do you look at it and say, that is terrible behavior. This is a key one, especially for someone that you worship or look up to. You think, oh, the CEO is such a great guy, so charismatic, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what has he done to you? What has he done to you? How much does he pay you? How much uh, time and energy does he put into getting to know you? You know, uh, how much respect does he show you as a measurable behavior that you can observe from a third-party perspective? And if there's nothing, if you can't answer that with anything, then you've made up a story about him. He's just a dude with the word CEO on his door. It doesn't make him better or worse than anything. So look for that evidence. You look down on homeless people, go talk to a hundred of them. Seriously, go ask them about their story. Not only is it just an interesting way to spend your day, especially if you're someone working on your social skills, the homeless are some of the easiest to talk to because they love talking to people in general and they have interesting stories. You know, you're not going to meet one who's like, ah, oh, I've got this boring job and you're not going to care about it. You know, they're going to, you're going to meet people who, you know, they, pick up cigarettes out of the gutter and they drink methylated spirits and they have a whole community with its own hierarchy that you're unaware of and they can sometimes make $200 a day just with a cup in their hand. They've got stories that you just don't know about that you would actually find quite fascinating if you paid attention and stopped judging them. So look for that evidence. Again, focus on the behavior. One of the things that I really stick by is a person is only as good as their behavior. There is no such thing as a person. They do not exist, an identity, a whole thing that stays consistent. It doesn't exist, right? Who I am now is not who I was yesterday or a year ago or five years ago. And it won't be who I am tomorrow. I am just my behavior right now. So right now I'm a person talking to a computer by myself. That's all I am. Now, whether or not you think that's good behavior or bad behavior by your own judgment, that's what you should measure me on. Anything else is irrelevant. If you think, oh, it's Dan Monroe, that coach guy is really confident. No, that's you made that up. That's a fiction. All you know about me is what you're watching right now. And even that is still such a tiny part of me that you don't really know me at all. But you can start to build up evidence. Every time you see me or are affected by me, you start to decide, do I feel that my life is better after being affected by him? Worse? The same? Nothing? What is going on? How does this person actually treat me and affect me? What is the evidence based on the behavior? So separate the other person from the person themselves. Separate the fiction you have in your head about people from their behavior. Start to just look at the behavior. You're on a date with someone like, oh, she's so gorgeous. She's, oh my God, I'm in love with her. Start going, wait, what's she talking about? How's she treating me right now? Is she investing equally in this conversation? Did she offer to pay for half? Is she interested in me like I'm interested in her? Is she being truthful with me? Is she telling me uncomfortable things about herself so that she can get to know me better? 
Is there actual evidence that this person is worthy of my attraction? Or have I just made that up? Am I giving her all these points and putting in all the investment myself and doing all the work, essentially driving her away with neediness, because I think she's some amazing thing, that she's somehow superhuman, not just another monkey walking around? And if you're not sure, ask. If you're not sure how someone is, get to know them. Ask the questions you'd ask someone if you didn't give them status and you wanted to see if they're a good person or not. If you didn't know what they were, what kind of questions would you ask? Those are the only questions that matter because somebody you worship, you don't know what they are. They're a complete stranger to you. Get to know them. You might get to know Johnny Depp and find out he is a cool guy that if you just met him at a bar and got to know him, you'd want to be mates with him. Or you might meet him and think, God, he's such a dick. He might make great movies, but I do not want to hang out with him. And none of that still has any matter in terms of social status or ranking. There is no such thing as status. It's just whether or not you like a person. That's it. More specifically, whether or not you like their behavior right now. That's the only thing that exists. Because the main point I want to finish on is every time you judge someone else, you're really just judging yourself. There is no judgment of other people. You don't know other people. You can't judge them. There's nothing to judge them on. There's no evidence. So that means every time you think someone's better than you, all you're saying is, I'm worse than that image of them. When you think you're better than someone, all you're saying is, I'm better than the image of them. I'm, I'm judging these things that I see out in the world, and all it's doing is causing my confidence to be owned by my context. So if you think you're better or worse than other people, then other people get to decide how you feel about yourself. If you decide other people are just other people, they're just humans walking around, they're just primates living their lives, and I can just focus on my own behavior, then you can judge yourself based on values, something that you can control for the rest of your life. Judge other people based on their behavior, then you'll start to judge yourself based on your own behavior. You stop lying to yourself and actually get yourself into line. So I hope that was he uh, helpful. I'm surprised it lasted an hour. I didn't think it would go that long, but uh, it's obviously a topic I feel very passionate about and one that I think will have a big impact on you if you really want to feel more socially confident and less of a loser or winner. Both are equally harmful. Alrighty, until next week, thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have an awesome week. Cheers. Cheers.